morning, everyone. Joy to see you today. We continue as God's people through this season commonly known as ordinary time. I've mentioned this before, this is the season that extends for the majority of the summer and even into the fall season. And it's ordinary, not in the sense that it's unremarkable, but it's ordinary in the sense that this is what ordinary Christian living should look like. And we learn what's normative for us as followers of Jesus. We're invited to learn what ordinary Christian living should look like. And today is no exception. We enter into Luke's gospel, and in Luke's gospel, we're invited to consider the theme of faith. And not just consider it, but join our hearts with this prayer the apostles prayed and say, Lord, would you increase our faith? So we're talking about faith today in Luke 17. If you'd like to turn there, we begin in the fifth verse, and we'll take it through the 10th verse, Luke 17. I should say up front, when we talk about faith, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in the life of the church. Even at times, pain and hurt that has been caused in the name of faith. I had a friend years ago whose wife in high school was in an automobile accident and was paralyzed from the waist down. And I remember him telling me of the pain of them going to different healing services. And when she wasn't healed, them being told, well, you must then just not have enough faith. There's a lot of confusion about faith in the world today. And so I think for us, before we dive in and pray this prayer, increase our faith, we should ask some more basic questions. What is faith? And why do we want more of it, whatever it may be? Those are the questions I want us to wrestle with today. What is faith? I think many words might come to mind if we tried to begin to describe faith. Words like trust or believe or even faithfulness, reliable, et cetera, et cetera. We could have all these different words. In the Gospels, faith is often linked to the miracles of Jesus. In those contexts, faith is putting this practical trust in Jesus to meet a physical need. But there's other examples that may come to mind. If you've journeyed with Jesus, some of these will be very familiar with you. I think of James 1 where it says, faith produces steadfastness. Or perhaps Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is, in many ways, the greatest passage on faith in the whole of the scriptures. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. In particular for us today in Luke's gospel, what you often see in Luke's gospel is faith is linked to salvation. You could say faith is one of the necessary ingredients for a life of discipleship. Often you see in Luke's gospel that phrase, your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well. But as we're trying to understand what faith is, there's one other image that came to mind this week that I found very helpful, and it's the image of marriage. Many of you in this room are married or aspire to marriage or have at least known people intimately who have been married and modeled that way of life for you. And I think of the married life. Over the summer, I had the blessing to lead several marriages. And when you see a couple standing before God and before the community at the altar, in a very real sense, they come filled with faith, don't they? Faith that the person they're giving their life to will love them, 
that they can be vulnerable with them, that they can be trusted, and then expect that in return. The person you're loving and giving yourself to will love you in the same way. And that's a picture we see in the Gospels and throughout the Scriptures of how Jesus relates to us as his people. Often he has spoken of us the bridegroom and we as the bride, the church as the bride of Christ. I was at a conference this week and I heard this great quote from Martin Luther, not someone that we often necessarily quote in the Anglican church, but it was a very helpful line because it was in a sermon that he gave talking about this marriage image and he said this, he said, grace for us, grace is when the bridegroom says to the bride, I am yours. And then he said, faith is the response of the bride who says to the bridegroom, I am yours. He speaks of this primarily in relational terms, that we are brought into union with Christ as his people. And faith is our response to God's love shown in Jesus where we say, I am yours. We give ourselves to him and ask to go deeper and deeper in that union, in that way of life. And so to pray this prayer, increase our faith, I think is primarily relational. It's saying increase in me the ability to go deeper and deeper in union with you, deeper into that relationship where I trust you and abide in you just as you abide in me. If that's, if you will, the what of faith, why do we need it? And especially, why do we need more? Why is there a prayer for an increase in faith? I'll say this, when I look at Luke 17, the reason I think they need to have their faith increased is because Jesus is asking them to do very hard things. And if you're following Jesus, there will be times in your life where he asks you to do very hard things as well. Often, I think we view our Christian faith and we view Jesus almost like this cosmic, divine pat on the back. You're doing such a great job, keep it up, so proud of you, you're the best. That's your little league coach. That's not the creator of heavens and earth. Yes, there may be times where you need to be comforted and consoled and the Lord does that mercifully out of his love, but there are many times when the Lord will ask you to do very hard things. If we miss that, I don't know how we make sense of the rest of our passage when he says, essentially, remember that you're a slave. Remember that you're a servant. That doesn't line up easily with the cosmic pat on the back. That, that divine affirmation that we sometimes think is the sum of what it means to know Jesus. He asks us to do really hard things, and it's no exception here. If we had begun this reading in the first verse, verses one to four, you see Jesus asking them to forgive the people who hurt them, even if they hurt them again, and again, and again, and again. That is a hard thing to do. And it's hard for us. There are times in your life when Jesus will ask you to do a very hard thing. Every breath you take for some of you may be a reminder that you live with constant pain, that you suffer from physical ailment, and the Lord Jesus may be asking you and saying, trust me that you can know my love and goodness in the midst of this suffering. Trust me that I am still good. 
There may be something in your life that you want in the deepest place of your being. You want it more than anything you can imagine. And the Lord may be saying, that's not what I have for you. That's not my best. Will you trust me that I have something else? You may be asked to live relationally in very close relationship with someone that you find very hard to love. Maybe you can relate to that. And Jesus is saying to you, I want you to show that person the way I love them, even though I know it is one of the hardest things in your life to do. We could do this all day. The list goes on and on and on. I don't know what it is in your life, but I promise you, if you take a minute and evaluate your own life and think of what Jesus is saying to you, he's asking you to do something hard, asking you to do something that is challenging. And what I love about Luke 17 is Jesus doesn't deny this. After he tells the apostles to learn to forgive even when it's hard, he doesn't then say, after they say increase our faith, he doesn't say, oh, I think you misunderstood me. I I didn't really mean that. I didn't mean it was that hard. No, he fully acknowledges this is very hard to do. But the whole point of his analogy is he's saying, with faith, the impossible is possible. I think that's the heart of this mustard seed and mulberry tree image. St. Augustine said, a mustard seed looks small. Nothing is less noteworthy to the sight, yet nothing is stronger to the taste. What does that signify but the great fervor and inner strength of the faith of the church? Jesus isn't demanding perfection. He isn't demanding that for you to do these hard things, you have this incredible leadership ability or capacity to do this. He's saying faith as small as a mustard seed is enough to do the seemingly impossible. And so I think in that way, Jesus is very pleased with this request. He's saying, yes, that's a good thing to pray because you know this is hard. A mulberry tree, uprooting a mulberry tree was a proverbial phrase in their day, essentially a way of saying something that is seemingly impossible. Oh, to do that's like uprooting a mulberry tree. And that's the heart of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I know this seems impossible. He's not telling us to try and with our minds go and uproot trees and throw them into the sea. That's selling Jesus short. That's missing the entire point of what he's saying. In that day, the mulberry tree had one of the deepest root systems in their entire agricultural landscape. It would have taken years to fully uproot a mulberry tree. And he's saying faith the size of a mustard seed can throw that tree into the sea. And he's saying whatever you think I'm asking you to do, however hard it seems to you, I will give you the strength and the capacity to do it. I think Jesus is asking us to grow in our faith. Even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed and as beautiful as that is, Jesus is saying there are things I still want to do in your life, things I still want to see happen, and it's gonna be hard, and so to pray that you increase your faith is a good thing. It's a faithful prayer to pray because the Christian journey is a lifelong journey. You don't reach a point in which you've made it. You don't reach a point in which you're done growing. We're always growing in our life of discipleship and so there's always the need to pray this prayer. Lord, increase my faith. We always have to do this and I, I am convinced it will always 
have an element of pain. Because there's something inherently painful about turning your life away from yourself, your self-love, self-interest, and turning it out towards God, to the love of God and love of neighbor. St. Augustine said we are naturally turned in on ourselves. We're navel gazers. We want to meet our own needs, our own interests, our own desires. And Jesus comes and turns those loves, turns those desires out towards God and others. And that is a painful process because it is pulling and stretching and reforming and shaping us in ways that are not always comfortable. And I think this passage brings up for us in some ways another hard question because the rest of the reading deals with this topic of being a servant or being a slave. And where I think that is so helpful is Jesus is reminding us this is what you're praying for an increase of. If you pray this prayer today and say, Lord, increase my faith, you're saying increase in me humility. Increase in me self-sacrifice. Increase in me a way of life that is nothing more than a servant. And so there's a hard question here for us today as we look at our own life of discipleship. Is there actually an area of your life that you find uncomfortable and painful and challenging as you seek to follow Jesus? Because if there isn't, I think this is a prayer you need to pray and I need to pray afresh because It's not that something's gone wrong. If you feel that challenge or feel that tension in your faith, it doesn't mean you're having a crisis of faith or everything's falling apart. I think it means, like the apostles, you're starting to understand what Jesus is actually asking of you. You're actually starting to see this is a life of service, and that is hard. And if we don't feel that, if we don't know that in our bones, then maybe we need to pray it afresh. And here's a simple way to maybe start assessing that and asking ourselves hard questions. There's two pictures painted here. One is the picture of a life of service where you are a servant to Christ and it is all you know in the entire orientation of your life. And the other is one in which it's so exceptional, so rare, so unique, that you and I may find the temptation to make a big deal about it. Have you ever had that? temptation where you do something that is an act of service or something good for Christ and his kingdom and you find ways to work it into conversation. You ever been guilty of that? Say, oh, I'd love to go to the Aggies game, but you know, I'm volunteering all day down in Bonton and so I I just can't do it this week. Or I'd love to go to brunch, but you know, I'm always over in children's ministry serving, so I can't do it. That's that exceptional way of life where we actually have time to think about Oh yeah, that was a really good act of service. Maybe I should make note of that. It makes me feel better. What Jesus is saying, a real servant never has time to stop and think about how well they're serving. A real servant is so busy faithfully giving their life away and it's the whole of their life, they never stop to think, is anyone noticing this? I want to make sure someone pats me on the back and sees that good deed that I did. If we're still there, then we still need to pray this prayer because Jesus is still not done with us yet. He wants to move us from that way of service and a way of discipleship that still seeks affirmation and move us into this way of servanthood where it is all we've ever known and all we ever desire. That's what we sing about today. All of our worship, all of our praise. 
We desire you and you alone. And if we miss that, we run such a great risk in our life of faith. St. John Chrysostom, another great father of the church, he said this, he talked about the person who misses this, and he said, despite practicing every example of virtue, if he seems to give himself credit for it, he ends up empty-handed and bereaved of everything. St. Paul said, be it far from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if you pray this prayer, Lord, increase our faith, he does in us by his Spirit's work the seemingly impossible, which is he frees us from the constant quest for affirmation and recognition. And if you think I'm overstating that, if you think, oh, come on, constant quest for affirmation, here's another very simple way to assess that in your own life. Take five minutes this week and do a social media self-assessment. Social media, Facebook, it used to be for the young and now social media is for eight to 108 year olds, it seems. And I guarantee you, in the time it's taken for us to start the service to this point, your phone has already gone off in some way. It's buzzed, giving you some alert, some notification, and if it's from social media, I promise you there is a temptation for it to be a way in which you find your worth and your identity. Think about it, the things you post, your photos, the articles you share, these status updates you put out, all of us are telling the world, this is how I want to be viewed and this is how I want you to love me. And if you get five likes, you must not be worth anything. But if you get 50, man, now I'm something. Now I'm worth it. And we do that because you can craft any narrative online that you want. It doesn't have to relate to who you really are. And so we do this, we tie up, even in simple ways like the way we use the phone in our pocket. We get tied up in this quest for affirmation for someone to notice us and tell me I'm significant, tell me I'm lovable. We do this time and time again. The hardest thing about the life of a servant is that you're asked plain and simply to think about yourself less. We think about ourselves all the time. I think about myself more than anyone else on the face of the planet. And if you're honest, you do the same. We love to think about ourselves, but Jesus is saying if you are really and truly a servant, there's no time for it. There's no time for it. Verse eight, it says, dress properly. If you're following along, you see that footnote actually says, gird yourselves. We used that phrase a few weeks ago when Father Paul talked about the prodigal son and how the father girds himself, hikes up his garment and runs to the son. When Jesus says it here, gird yourselves as a servant, he's not saying make sure you put on something nice for an evening out. (laughs) He's saying hike up your garment and get ready to work. Live the life of a servant. And if that seems impossible, then get on your knees and pray for an increase in faith because the Lord is happy to do it. And he knows you can't do it on your own. As we begin to wrap up, I'll say this. The actual word, doulos, is slave. And to say the word slave and for you to hear me say, become a slave, is hard for us to hear because we are inheritors of centuries of unspeakable injustice and abuse. 
where people have had their very basic human rights stripped of them by tyrannical leaders. It is one of the most clear ways we in culture have seen the brokenness of humanity and of sin. And it's hard for us then to hear these words and say, how would I willingly subject myself to a life of slavery? And I think for us that brings us to the theme of trust. I noticed this as we were singing, that last verse of our song has two things. I will serve you and give you everything, and I will trust you and trust you alone. Those are linked. The ability to serve you and give you everything is only possible if I trust you, if I trust that God is actually good, that he is loving, and if I voluntarily submit myself to this way of life, it's because I know it's for my good, and that I can be vulnerable, and I will be loved and respected and, and, and give that in return. That's what we're invited into, and so if you do not trust that God is good, you'll never be able to be his disciple. You'll never be able to live into this prayer and say, increase in me the ability to be a servant. You first have to trust that God is good. We pray each week, we'll pray it again today, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us. And there's a line in there, lead us not into temptation. Have you ever thought, what does that mean? Have you ever struggled with that line? Have you ever said, God, is that something I need to be worried about? Are you going to lead me astray? Are you gonna lead me into temptation? Is that the kind of God that you are? That every single week or every single day when I pray this prayer, I need to remind you of that? (laughs) Make sure you don't lead me astray because I'm not sure if you are going to. To close, I wanna read for you from one of my favorite books. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by an Anglican priest named Ken Bailey who spent several decades in the Middle East and he wrote a book about it saying for us to understand the gospels and the stories of Jesus, you have to see them through his eyes. You have to see them through Middle Eastern eyes and particularly this phrase, this lead us not into temptation, he writes about a time in which he took a trip through the Sahara Desert. And he said that it was that trip that helped him understand as never before how this phrase makes sense. Lead us not into temptation. When I heard it, I never have to this day forgotten it and I wanna share it with you as a way to close and help us see that if you pray this prayer, Lord, increase my faith, help me be a servant, that God is good and can be trusted. And so um, enter into this story with me now. If you're the imaginative type, place yourself on the edge of the Sahara Desert and hear these words as we close this morning. When travelers take long camel trips into the deserts of the Middle East, they must have a guide. The guide knows how to reach the destination Without that information, the traveling party will die. From experience, I know that selecting the right guide must be done with great care. The party must trust the guide and have full confidence that he knows exactly where he is going and will not play Russian roulette with their lives. They must feel that the guide is capable of coping with any emergency that might arise on the journey. Some years ago in Egypt, my friends and I made a number of extended trips into the Sahara to visit a famous well just east of the Nile. For that particular journey, we always selected Uncle Zaki as our guide. 
He was a self-confident, humble man with an enormous personal dignity. He never walked in the desert but flowed over sand and rock like a ship moving gently through calm seas. His gait was akin to a slow run and was beautiful to observe. As we would leave the village on the edge of the Nile and head out into the almost trackless Sahara, each of us in turn felt the inner pressure to say, Uncle Zaki, don't get us lost. What we meant by that statement was, we don't know the way to where we're going, and if you get us lost, we will all die. We have placed our total trust in your leadership. We were not saying to Uncle Zaki, we do not think we can trust you and are nervous lest you get us lost. Please don't do so. If that had been our view, we would have never followed him out of the village. The phrase in the Lord's Prayer expresses the confidence of an earthly pilgrim traveling with a divine guide. The journey requires the pilgrims to affirm daily, Lord, we trust you to guide us because you alone know the way that we must go. This affirmation of the trusting traveler reflects the confidence of the community that prays this prayer. Are you a trusting traveler with the Lord Jesus? If you've followed him for any amount of time, you know these words to be true. You know that he is good and trustworthy, so even if he's asking hard things of you, where you have to pray, increase my faith, you still know he will never misguide you or lead you astray. And if you've never journeyed with the Lord Jesus, there's an invitation that stands before you to see that he is good and will never leave you, never misguide you, and he's inviting you to journey with him today. I think of the words of St. Peter, who said to Jesus, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. May we say the same today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.